You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Che. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. I like all of those songs. Did a wonderful job. Thank you so very much, ladies. I appreciate it. We're going to have to pack up the book table tonight, so make sure that you take advantage of the book table, if you would, please. We pack them around. This is for your benefit. And, of course, we use the money for missions and et cetera. So take advantage of prayer. If if you're not praying, you're playing. It's got organizational situation put together on repentance. We're not hearing a lot of preaching on repentance. These are some of the great preachers that preached in our national conference down through the time. Uh, we got Jack Hiles, Tom McGath, Jim Vineyard, Bob Smith, Carl Ogden, Denny Coral, Mickey Carter, Bob Buchanan, Dwayne Nichols, Ron Garris, John Jenkins, Harry Nix, and Joe Boyd. Some great sermons there. Now, the truth of the matter is when we had this conference, um, Brother Coral, has Brother Coral been here? Yes. And you know, Brother Coral, he preaches a series. He preaches a commentary, right? Well, no, you're not used to him because he preached with me. You just go on. He didn't preach by the he didn't preach by the clock. He preaches by the calendar. And so, all of those preachers I just mentioned, they they preach. That's about all of their sermon. That's Brother Coral's sermon right there. It's the funniest thing in the world. That was one of the funniest conferences. I was sitting there and said, well, Brother Gomez wants to stop me. He can stop me. I said, I'm stopping you. He never heard me. He just kept on preaching. He said. Well, he said, if he wants to, and he, he, he knew he was going over. He said, if he wants to get the shepherd's hook, he put me out. I said, I got the shepherd hooked out. never heard me. He just went on. I promise he preached for two plus hours. It was wild. He gave us a commentary on repentance. It's just amazing. Uh, the guy's got a great mind. He was a bouncer all those years, a real tough guy. He was a bouncer, and I told him that I was his job security. But anyway, before we got saved, and it's, it's a wonderful thing that, uh, you know, we never ran across one another before we were saved because somebody would have died, and I'm thinking it wouldn't be me. But anyway, so uh, that's, that's a good book to have. Uh, the School of Obscurity, uh, boy, was amazing. Amos was an amazing prophet to the, to the nation. A man, just a farmer out in the middle of nowhere doing nothing. God came to him and used him. Sometimes God's going to put you in an obscure place because he's trying to teach you, even what I preached last night on suffering, may put you in a, a, a place that of obscurity, but he's forming you and making you because he's going to use you one day. Ministry of obscurity. There's some preachers sometimes out in the country nobody knows of, missionaries, and God's going to use them in a great way. Perilous times, I, I don't have to say more about that. You know we're living in perilous times, and if you don't know that, you're sleeping. How to be holy, another booklet that will help you. Uh, Be in the right place for God to speak to you. There is a will of God for you geographically and spiritually. You need to be in that place for God to speak to you. When you get out of that, it seems like God doesn't speak to you like he did in the place of the will of God. Be in the will of God always, and God will speak to you in that place. Fresh feathers, uh, eagles, different birds go through molting. Uh, The uh, mallard duck goes through molting. They're ugly ducklings by that time. They lose their feathers. Christians do the same. Uh, you got to understand, folks, that I've pastored 40 years the same church, but also I have, uh, I'm in churches all the time, and Christians sometimes get moldy, and sometimes we have to have fresh feathers to fly again, and you're going to go through those times. This is molting times, preachers, when people bail, and they don't need to. They just need to get fresh feathers and go one more time. Amen. The blood of Jesus Christ delivered is still efficacious and will cleanse any sinner of their sin, no matter how low you've ever gone. You've never, you never have sinned a sin that God will not forget except the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So understand that clearly. The cost of the coat is going to cost you if you're going to have that coat of many colors. When you do a study on the coat of many colors that Tamar had and um, others had in the Bible, Joseph uh, that was a, 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 a coat of honor. Uh, and, if you're gonna, and you can have that. It, you can have the favor and the honor of God Almighty upon your life, but you're going to have to 
understand you, it's going to cost you for the coat. And uh, some people don't want to pay that price to have God's favor and God's, uh, am I right? They, he loved Joseph more than all the brethren. And the brethren are the ones going to hurt you the most. And so you need to understand. Strong will. When I, when I went through that thing, I, my, my folks asked me to stop preaching it because it, they said it's like you're following us around during the daytime. And so that'll help you. All of us here have a strong will. I don't, but you do, right? And so, but I was so strong-willed that my, my teacher called my parents in for a teacher's meeting. That's what you don't want. No young man wants the teacher to call his mom and dad in. So I sat there. I remember Miss Daigle, she was about this short. She was as wide as she was short. And uh, her arms were big, and she had hair that long, black hair on her arms. And when that old gal swung a paddle, she could do a number on you. Now, she would do something different. She would have us grab our ankles and stick our head under the chalk tray. So if she hits you and you turn loose, right, I mean, you had to grab it again, and then you, you got to get another lick. But then, you know, your head would scrape against the block, and then your back of your head would hit the chalk tray. That's why I'm bald. Anyway, so, and she would come from the moon. Boom. I mean, she could put it on you, right? And I remember she, she sat there with my mom and dad. My dad was, you know, construction worker, but he was, ran a boxing school, he was an ex-professional boxer. And she, I remember I'm sitting there, boy, I'm, I'm nervous, like, what's, what is she going to say? And uh, she said, uh, Keith is a good boy. I went, oh, yeah. This is, this is going to turn out right. He said, uh, he's a leader. Uh, okay. But he ain't going to run my class. I went, oh, <laughs> And so what she understood is I was strong-willed, and she had to do something with me to keep me from getting in trouble. Some of you folks, you cast people away that doesn't need to be cast away. Right. You just need to point them in the right direction. And that's all it needs. Strong will. We're all strong will. A lot of ladies here are strong will. You're hurting your marriage if you're not careful. Sometimes we've got deacons with strong will. Churchmen with strong will. That thing will change your life right there. That book right there. Trust me. Uh, of course, God save our churches. We need help there. And the adversary. I think Brother Angel said something about the adversary. You need to know that because he'll attack certain parts of you, especially your mind. First thing he goes for, then your body and et cetera, et cetera. That book will help you tremendously if you'll get it. All right, in your Bibles, please, Jeremiah, Jeremiah, if you would, chapter 38, Jeremiah 38. I want to thank you from the depth of my soul, Kim and I, for all that you, be seated, don't stand just yet, because I'm going to say a few things, then we're going to stay in a minute, but I want to thank you from the depths of my soul. I, I can't tell you how much we enjoy coming to Corpus, and I've got to know some of you, and you're precious folks, you really are, and uh, I love many of you, and uh, got to know you a little bit. I certainly love the Che family, all of them, even Abe. And <laughs> I love them. Been up all through the ranks. All the Providence students that are here serving, um, I love them very, very much. And um, Providence Baptist is a different school. It, it's, it's, we don't try to turn out big shots or clones. We, we turn out individuals that have the handle on that book and love God with all their heart. And across the nation where I go, uh, I see individuals that graduate from there that are carving it out, doing great works. I think we're going to be in six or seven churches here in Texas since last week. And in every church, we have ex-members of Northwest Bible Baptist Church or Providence Baptist students in every church we're going to be in. It's really amazing. I just sat here and thought about that. When you have a, a thriving church in a big church, you're going you're to seed a lot of other churches. And that's what we want to do. Are y'all with me now? A church is not to have four walls and keep it there. We're a sending agency. We send missionaries out, etc. So please remember that. Tara Hall, stand. Tara Hall, sharp, stand. You see that pretty little girl right there? Be seated. Thank you. That's enough. She's been with me since a little bitty. How old were you when I preached in Korea? You were seven. You were five years old when, when I went to Korea and preached. Her dad was there, military man, officer. And um, uh, had started the church, built the church there. And I preached a big group of preachers that were there, big jubilee. Tara was five years old. 
I remember distinctly because uh, the Korean folks would, would stroke their hair because they, they, the, the hair's different and her sister, especially blonde. And, and then we were in this big place and a bunch of these Korean women, it must have been 50 or 100 Korean women were together doing something or another. And for some reason, they just, they liked big American men, white American men. So they grabbed me. Brother Che, you got to explain this stuff. It, they grabbed me and they pulled me up on a, a bunch of stairs. They wanted to take a picture with me. They put me right in the middle, right in the middle. So my wife's down there, my first wife's down there, Miss Hall's down there, Brother Hall's down there. The kids, I think, were with us, I don't remember. But I, I'm there with these, the, with these women. I'm looking like this. And I got to thinking, man, I'm in Korea. What's the difference? <laughs> I put my arm around me. <laughs> They're smiling. <laughs> and they took a picture or whatever. I've known him for a long time. Brother Hall was about to retire from military. He asked me what he should do. And I told him he ought to come to, to work for me. And he did all those many years ago. And I brought it to Tara because uh, I want to use it as an example right now. And she's a bit like Kim. Kim helped her. Kim was 46 years old and had never been married, never chased the boys, never ran around, never was boy crazy. Didn't get into all that, stayed with mom and dad, loved mom and dad, her and the sister both. Didn't live a loose life, a virgin intact at 46 years old. Tara was the same way. Tara, I don't, I'm not quite sure how old she was when she got married. Could you tell us? 36, 7, what? And of course, her and Kim had a good relationship, talking about that. But here's what I want to say, and this will help, preacher. I remember sitting in our office and uh, she was interested in the guy and we were talking this before she got married to the man she's married to now, which is a good man. And she looked at him in front of me and her father and said, I want you to understand something. She's a woman now. She's not a girl. She's not a teenage girl. She's not 19 or 20. She's a woman. And she looked at this, the, the fella and she said, if my father and my preacher says no, it's no. It's a no-go. Now, that's giving veto power to her father and to her pastor. I thought that was pretty big of her, and that's why God has blessed her now in such a good way. And it's so good to see you, Tara. Joy to see you. Pray for you all the time. All right, Jeremiah chapter 38, if you would please. And we're going to do something a little unusual. Is it, this is You can stand now. It, this is going to be a Bible study. It's a Wednesday night Bible study. So we're going to do a little Bible study for you tonight and, uh, and help you. Uh, just a little bit. This is going to be unusual, but it's something that I know needs to be done in every church in the United States of America. I actually did this in, in a church uh, where my two, my two, well, two of my pastors that I've been under was there. And they looked at me and said, Brother Gomez, please, you must do this in every church you go to. And I really don't, but I, but I just feel compelled uh, this week to do this here because of the situation. So Please, wonderful crowd on Wednesday night. Thank you so much. And you that were here every night during the conference, thank you so very much. You honored us with your presence. And I appreciate that. And I know that thrills your pastor tremendously. Yeah. Jeremiah 38, if you would, pick it up in verse, um, let's pick it up in verse 6, if you would, please. And let, let me just give you the intro. Jeremiah, of course, you understand he was a weeping prophet, but also he was a man of God that stood and preached it straight. Could I say this to you, that any preacher that does that is going to be ridiculed and hated by the world. Jeremiah was hated, uh, and they end up throwing him in prison several times. You've got to read through it, and some of you have. I mean, his, the fire was shut up in his bones. He could not stay. He had to preach. But it's amazing when somebody takes a strong stand for God Almighty. They want to shut him up. They've got to shut him up. So what you got to do is you got to get rid of them, either kill them or put them in jail, right? That's what they did, John the Baptist. They killed all of the disciples and apostles and then eventually crucified my Lord. They got to shut us up. And I want to get into this, and I pray, beg God that I wouldn't get into this this week about the, the, the state of the union of our country. But they hate us, and they need to shut us up because we're the only ones that are standing between them and their, and their agenda and what they want to do. I want you to pick it up in verse 6. Let's look at it, please, if you would. Then took they Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of Malchiah, the son of Hamlet. 
that was in the court of the prison and they let him let down Jeremiah with cords. In the dungeon, there was no water but mire. Now, folks, please, let's slow down just a little bit. And would you please with me, I, I, I do this all the time. With, would, you, would you enter into the story and understand this is not black words on a white piece of paper. It's actually a true story. And put yourself there. How would you like to be in prison, not like what we have today with color TV, remote control, and cell phones, but Lord with ropes down into a hole, maybe hewn out in a rock, and sink up to your knees and muck and mire. I don't know if you know this or not, there were no toilet facilities down there. Whoever was there before, you get the picture. This is the man of God, God's prophet. Got it? Here we go. And there was no water there but, but mire, so Jeremiah sunk in the mire. And when Abimelech, the Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs, which was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon. The king was sitting in the gate of Benjamin. Abimelech went forth out of the king's house and spake unto the king, saying, My lord, the king, these men have done evil in all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet, whom they have cast in the dungeon, and is like to die for hunger in the place where he is, for there is no more bread in the city. We'll get into more verses, but I want you to understand where he was at. I want to speak to you a little while on the subject, attending, attending to the man of God. Father, I pray that you would help us tonight. We thank you so much for this wonderful church. Lord, we prayed for this place, for these precious people, for this dear pastor and his wife and family. And Lord, we're so privileged to be able to open thy holy book, and preach it once again. I pray you take something so simple tonight, but yet make it so profound in our mind and hearts that folks would be changed because of it and things would be done because of what will be said, decisions will be made, and things will be done in the right way. Pray that you'd bless, Lord, those that are assembled tonight. Nobody forced them to be here. They're here because they love you. And please speak to our hearts tonight. Holy Ghost of God, we ask in Jesus' name. And amen. You may be seated. Chapter 37, 38 gives an account of how Jeremiah was cast in the dungeon of Malchiah. We see that in verse 6. And always remember that men who stand strong for God and stand for that book is going to be hated by the world. It's not popular. They're not popular. Are you with me? They have a bad reputation. It's a shame that your pastor being such a good man has a bad reputation. I certainly do. And I wear it proudly. If the world thinks I got a bad reputation, that's fine with me. Listen carefully. Reputation is what a man thinks you are. Character is what God knows you are. There's some men have great reputations who have poor character with God Almighty. There's some that have bad reputation with the world that has great character with God and great reputation with God. Are y'all with me now? There's a difference in reputation and character. And a man that stands true for that book and stands for what it stands for is going to be hated by the world, they crucified Jesus Christ and will not applaud those who follow him. Cross-bearing days, I talked about that the other night. Bearing the reproach of Jesus Christ outside the camp. It's a shame, preacher, that even in our day, even in our movement and other churches, we stand out. They don't like us because we're fundamental, independent, Bible-believing Baptists. They don't like that because by saying that, that defines us. When you go to a non-John church, that's just what it means. It's a nothing church, and that they're fine with that because anybody can come and believe whatever they want. There is, no, there is no doctrine that they're under. There's no mandates. But every word that we have, it defines what we are. And since I've done a study, a deep dive on all of this, after I was deceived for 20 years, I know exactly what every bit of that means. And that's why I am a fundamental, independent, Bible-believing Baptist. And I could give a rip what these little punks do on the Internet when they try to kill us in talking about us and calling us names. If you think for one moment that this man is worried about somebody calling me a name, you never had a mama like mine <laughs> or a daddy. I'm simply saying how sad it is. We're so sensitive. We're worried about what people think about us. 
even the dark days when men were against Jeremiah, the man of God, there was one, one man, preacher, one man that was concerned about the welfare of Jeremiah, the prophet. And could I say this, Heritage Baptist, that somewhere, somehow, you've got to really understand the great blessings of God that God has put in this place for you. To think for one moment that God has given you such a young man, but a man of God, and the entire future of this place is up to you. If you're going to follow the man of God or not. If you're going to care for the man of God or not. You must understand that we never discuss stuff. There ain't, there ain't no preacher going to tell me this is what I need. You need to preach on this. I've never been to, if a preacher ever does that to me, I'm going to preach the opposite of what he does. This preacher never told me anything. I'm trying to help preachers and churches to understand because most time churches really want to do something. They just don't know what to do. And so we see this man. I want you to look at him, please. His name was Abimelech, an Ethiopian, a eunuch in the king's house. Pick it up in verse 7, if you would, please. Now, when Abimelech, the Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs, which was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon, the king then sitting in the gate of Benjamin that's when Abimelech went to approach him. And when he had heard what happened to Jeremiah, he interceded on the prophet's behalf. Look at 8 and 9, if you would please. Abimelech went forth of the king's house and spake to the king, saying, My lord, the king, these men have done wicked, uh, or have done evil in all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet, the man of God, who they have cast in a dungeon. He is likely to die for hunger in the place where he is, for there is no more bread in the city. Not only was he knee deep in muck and mire, uh, there was nothing to be fed. I'm not quite sure how that get it, get him, you know, get anything down to him to eat. But y'all got to get the picture now. When they lowered him down in there, they just wrapped ropes around him and lowered him down. I want you to see it, please. Abimelech got permission from the king to rescue Jeremiah. Are y'all with me? One man and all of the men said, I've got to go help this man of God. It didn't take a lot of folks. It just takes somebody that's concerned enough. Because let me tell you who's really concerned with you and every problem you have and any issue you have is that man of God right there. So it seems like somewhere, somehow, somebody's got to take his calls up. Somebody's got to be at least concerned. Not that you're not, folks, please. Not that you're not. I'm just trying to help and teach what I know needs to be taught around the country. Somebody's got to take up his cause and his family's cause. Uh, he hates that I'm saying all this, but I'm bigger than him, and it'd really be bad if he ever tries to attack me. <laughs> I'd put him across my knee. Anyway, and so... This dear man thought that the prophet was going to die in the dungeon... And all that muck and mire. I mean, he said he was concerned about the man of God. And when Abimelech received permission to rescue the prophet, that's exactly what he did. I'm not going to keep you long night. I want you to listen to me, though. His example should be copied by every church in the United States of America, and the men especially. His example should be copied as lessons from this chapter, how to take care of the man of God. I want you to look at it. Number one, first of all, Abimelech provided the needs for the man of God. And could I say this to many of you that somehow, somehow you need to sit down with your pastor from time to time just in chatting and ask him that. Why would you be scared to ask him, preacher, do you have any needs? And you may do that. Do you have any needs? Preacher, what's going on in your life? Do you have any needs? Sometimes you can see it. Sometimes you don't know it. If a man of God is what he's supposed to do, he ain't going to advertise that stuff. It ought, to be, it ought to be visible to some people that, you know, this is not right. I preached a revival. I just got through one, but I preached one last year. Preacher was in, in an automobile. It looked like we had to push it off every time. And thing was so old. It looked like the, the, the pistons were swapping cylinders, man. I mean, it just thing was so rusted out, the fenders were waving at one another, you know, I mean, and I'm thought this year when we go back, in fact, Dr. Angel and I are preaching that revival. I, I'm going to try to help that preacher, help his people understand what he need, what they need to do, take care of that man of God. I'm dead sure not insinuating to you that you're not doing that for your pastor, but I am saying that 
You've got to be sensitive to that. Most churches are not sensitive to that at all. And so I, I want you to see it, that he met the needs. He rescued him from a horrible situation because he understood where the preacher was at because not only did he see it, he heard it, but he, he saw it with his own eyes. So I want to do something for the man of God. I want to help this prophet of God. That's God's man right there, and I'm going to try to help him in any way I possibly can. He gave him food to eat. You see that? Now, see, some of you are staring at me right now because, you know, we're in America, but I have been preaching in churches where the preacher was just barely, I mean, scraping to make it. When I was in Bible college, when I was in Bible college, it got to the point where the steel mill shut down. Everything was shut down. There was no jobs anywhere. And uh, I, I got fell on my face and started praying. My, it was my senior year. And uh, nine months, we we're off nine months. I prayed, I prayed thousands, tens of thousands of dollars in. God being my window, folks sending me money, I didn't even know. And I got to thinking, man, I paid all my school bill plus my kids, uh, my kids' school bill, plus I was helping other, other preachers that wanted to stay in Bible college. I got to thinking, man, if I'd have known this, I'd have never went to work. I'd have just prayed it all in. Amen. That's a lot easier. We ate a lot of red beans and rice. Now, you folks up here in Texas, bless God, you ought to know what I'm talking about. If you can't say amen right there, something wrong with you. You ain't even, you ain't even close to being a Cajun. Red beans and rice with a big old chunk of uh, uh, onion right in the middle. You eat that, you'll have visions that you never believe. You can even preach a sermon after eating that at night. Red beans and rice. And folks, if you had, if you had a bowl of red beans and rice right here and, uh, and a big T-bone steak right here, you know what I'd do? I'd eat both of them. But anyway, <laughs> we had to do that. My family, me and my family had to do that. We were in a situation where we didn't even have heat in the, in the home. Now, we're Bible college students. We're not a pastor. I mean, we had to crack the windows, and then I turned the furnace up and turned uh, turn the stove. Not the furnace, but the stove. The furnace oil was out. We had to turn the stove on. Dangerous. Shouldn't do that. That's the only way we could make it. I'm simply saying that. That might be okay for a college student trying to carve it out when there's no job, but a preacher shouldn't have to live like that. And I've seen preachers on some pretty tight situations. The needs of the man of God should always be a concern of God's people. Folks, I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to fuss at you. I'm just trying to say, when have you sat down with the preacher and said, Preacher, how you doing, man? You doing okay? Are, are your bills being paid? Or, are you comfortable? Are you, is, your, is your salary comfortable? Or, are you doing okay? How's your insurance? You'd be shocked at how many pastors I talk to. Sometimes they have nothing in place. They have nothing in place because they're not going to bring that to the people because it embarrasses them. That's where the men got to step up and question and try to find out exactly what's going on. Abimelech understood that. Some folks believe that Preachers live on clotheslines, drink rainwater, and eat fried rabbit tracks. I'm saying that, that's funny, folks, but that's okay. I know you're slow. Half of you are from Louisiana, I think. But anyway, the preacher should never have a need that God's people should not be willing to meet. Shame on you if you do. Shame on you if you think the preacher has too much. When the truth of the matter is, in most cases, especially at his age with all them little rugrats that he has, that he has too much. He really doesn't have that much. Now, I don't know his situation, but as a rule, that's not true. Now, folks, you need to understand something. That I, I, Northwest Bible Baptist Church is an unusual church, one of the most unusual churches in the United States of America. But we started with 31 people. And when I came up with the budget and wrote the budget out, I was over the budget. We owed $38,000 immediately, and the church is going $700 in the hole every week. I looked at, the, I looked at the, the letterhead, and my name was on the letterhead. I hate debt with a passion. I went around all our debtors. I stuck my hand out. I said, my name is Pastor Keith Gomez, Northwest Bible Baptist Church. I understand that we owe you this much money. I had all the figures. And they said, yes, sir. I said, I wanted you to come and tell you I'm the new pastor, and you'll get every penny that we owe you if you just give me time. I got I to build a church up and... We'll, we'll do that. You kidding me? No, 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 sir, I want to do it. I'm going to pay every penny. You just got to give us time. Wait a minute, preacher. We ain't never had nobody do this to us. They're good at sticking us, but they're not good at coming talking to us. I said, no, sir, we, we'll pay you. Pay every penny. Just give me time. If you give me time. Some of them said, some of them said this, preacher, just forget it. 
It, you're so honest. We never had anybody do this. Just forget the debt. I said, no, sir, I want to pay everything. No, sir, we will not receive it. We'll send it right back. You're forgiven. I said, you got to be kidding me. Others said, give, preacher, just give us 50 cents on the dollar. But we paid every bit of that back. But when I came over the budget, the only thing that we could afford is $200 a week for me and my wife and three children. Now, brethren, you've got to understand, you can't live on that. And they knew that. But that's all we had. The former pastor made $350 a week. I told the church, I said, now when the church, when the church is built up and we can afford $350, I'm not going to call a men's meeting and vote, should I get $350? Because you ain't getting less than what you had before. I'm going to go ahead and give myself a raise of $350 at that time. And then from there, it's up to you. And of course, the church grew. I, I told you a little bit about that last night. Our second anniversary, we had 504 from 31 to 504. So the church was growing and, and the finance was growing. But I hated to talk about my salary. Brother Chase here, he, he's hearing everything I'm saying. These boys are old enough to know if I'm telling the truth or not. I hate preachers that are right with God are not in this thing for money. They're in this thing to try to get people out of hell and build a work for God. That's what it's all about. Not in for that. And I was embarrassed when they talked about money. I just said, no, no, we ain't going to do that. And forever, I cheated my family by saying no, but the men wanted to. Uh, I did wrong. I, I did. I confess that. I, and I cheated my family uh, a long time. I just said, no, I, no, 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 no. I, I remember when a preacher, when I, when I first took the church, uh, came from college, I had a red hippie van. You should have seen that thing. I wish I still had it, but anyway, but it had a big old moon thing. And then I drove up and they said, and of course, most of my people, they, they own Beamers and XJ6s and, and Mercedes. And, and I had this old van, hippie van, you know, I said, preacher, you can't go visit in that. We got to get you a car. And they did. They bought me a car. I, I couldn't believe it. I just wept. I said, man, are you kidding me? Uh, cutlass, a cutlass, beautiful cutlass. They wanted to take care of the preacher. They knew that, but I wouldn't take any money. So they gave me a car. Years went on like that. I don't know, Brother Che, you had to be in a meeting. I, was, I, I did the same thing. A man right here stood up and turned his back on me. I'm the moderator of the meeting. He turned his back and said, we're not going to listen to him. He's not going to take a raise. Every time we bring his raise up, he never wants anything. So I'm suggesting right now that we give him $200 a week raise. And the men shouted. I mean, they were shouting. I, I was weeping. They were shouting. I remember I went back to my office, tears running down my face. I called the wife, my first wife, and I said, wife, you can tell the kids they can dress a little better now. It went on the same thing even years after that. I said, no, we're not going to discuss myself. I just, I always felt uncomfortable with that. Then finally one man stood up and he said, preacher, would you allow us to give you a, a cost of living raise every year? I said, it'd be wonderful because now we don't have to talk about my salary. It's just the financial sector, they know that every year, give me a little cost of living. That's what we did. Are y'all with me now? Now, he's allowed to be different and other preachers are different. Don't judge preachers by that. That's just me. I just was very embarrassed by talking about that stuff. And I'm simply saying that some people really believe that preachers live on clotheslines and drink rainwater and eat fried rabbit tracks. But that's just not true. And, and so I, I know many preachers who are starved out of the church. And now, folks, y'all wouldn't understand that, but a man that travels as much as I do and receive phone calls from preachers on a daily basis, you need to hear what I got to say. There's some preachers that are starved out of their church. It's obvious that ain't happening here. But there are churches that do that. I told you, gave you an illustration. I don't know if it was last night or not. Well, that preacher came from vacation, having this great time with his family and so happy and joyful. And he comes home and there's snow this deep and all of his belongings. So y'all with me? All the wife's dresses and his suits and everything they owned was by the, by the mailbox, by the main road. He stopped in his driveway, tears running down his face. And he called me, said, Dr. Gomez, all of our stuff is by the road. I don't know what happened. They ran him off. It's crazy what's happened. Sometimes Christians can be very cruel. I said the other night, and there is times where preachers got to go. They're doctrinally crooked, morally crooked, financially crooked. You got to move on. But man, when you got a man of God that's trying to do the right thing, take care of that man as best you can. Brother Chad, I never had a problem at Northwest Bible Baptist Church. 
Any, anything that I would say tonight is my fault by not taking any raises. But our folks knew in their heart and mind, you take care of the man of God. And that's why God is blessed. Heritage Baptist Church, you need to understand something very clearly, okay? I've been here way before Heritage Baptist ever existed. I preach in this area. This area needs Heritage Baptist Church in the worst kind of way. I want it to be blessed and you'll be blessed by God far greater than anything else as long as you care for the preacher. And I'm not talking about doing all this big stuff. I'm just talking about make sure that his needs are met. Abimelech made sure that the man of God's needs were met. Many churches make it easy. Listen carefully, please. Make it easy for the preacher to leave because they're not caring for him. And then he gets a phone call from another church and they offer him big stuff and they got, he's looking at the difference. He's going, man, I could go over there and be cared for. Yeah. I remember Val Verde, Texas. My, my kinfolk settled Orange and Val Verde up in that area years and years ago. I mean, when they came over from the old country. This church called me when I took Northwest, when I was at Northwest, and Brother Woodward was with me. You can verify all the story I'm telling you right now, Dr. Woodward. He flew with me. He had some questions about a building program we're doing, and, and that's when I first took the ministry there. But um, they just told me, he said, Preacher, would you come and consider uh, the pastor? I said, no, I won't. I'm where I'm supposed to be. I believe I'm in the will of God here. Would you come at least try to help us find a pastor? No, I, I could do that, I guess. So we flew down there, but they were trying to trick me and rope me because what they did is they offered me the world when I was there. I, I won't go into it, but the facilities, we were still in a rented public school and their facilities, preacher, would knock your eyeballs out. They had 14 freshly painted buses. They had a, a strip mall between the main auditorium, which was monstrous, 12, 1400 seat auditorium. And at the far end of the strip mall was a full-fledged gym. In the strip mall, there was a 300-seat chapel. They offered me the world. What a temptation. And if Northwest was not the will of God for me, and if they were really hurting me, that would have been a good opportunity for me to exit stage left. Are you with me now? Not too far, three hours from my mom and dad, Santa Mall Baptist Church, Santa Mall, Louisiana, capital of the... Jambalaya, Jambalaya capital of the world. They called me, asked me to come. They said, you're, you're a Cajun. You're the only man in the world could pastor this church. I went there. They offered me a huge brick home, a boat. They took me out on the, where I used to do, make my living off commercial fishing at one time, took me down to Marsh and did some butterfly fishing for big shrimp. They offered me a salary three times of what I'm making at Northwest. Temptations. And I've gotten them ever since. Georgia, that's where I put Brother Reed that begged me to come and laid everything out for me. All those temptations, see? But when all of that stuff comes to you, if, you're dis if a preacher is dissatisfied in the church because they're not caring for him, he's going to take that route. Don't freeze up with me, fellas, because you'd do the same thing if another company warned you to go give you three, three, three times what you're making now. You'd probably exit unless you're absolutely satisfied with the company that you're working for. So I'm trying to say just care for the man of God. Abimelech did that. The second thing I want to say quickly is he provided for the, for the prophet's comfort. This is very interesting, by the way. If a preacher is not cared for and it made easy for him, he can't care for the needs of the church. I, I want to say this about your pastor, and I, know, and I know you know him, but maybe you don't know him like I know him. I've known him since a child. I've talked to him enough to know that he loves you extremely. And he's he, he cares for you. He can't be worried about bills that he owes. He can't be worried about, do I have insurance? Well, the kids need dental work or wife needs dental work. Are y'all with me now? Say amen, do something. I'm just simply saying that a pastor can't be so sidetracked on his needs and what he has to have and his comfort and ease and stay focused on the church. How many preachers, the one we just came from, he's working a full-time job. How in the world can he focus on everything the church needs when he's so busy doing what he has to do to, to make a living to feed his family? I'm simply saying, boy, it's good when you make it easy for a pastor to stay focused on you, where he could run up to the hospital and visit a dear lady on Sunday that's dying and pray with her. 
love on her a little bit. Now get to stand here because he can. There's some preachers sometimes can't do what they need to do ministerial because they have to go work their other job. Can't go to conferences. Can't have conferences sometimes. I've seen, I've seen stuff like that. I'm just simply saying a pastor's mind can't be on too many things and how he's going to pay his bills or how his needs are going to be met. Is his children cared for? and then focus on the church. It's just not going to happen. Notice how Abimelech made things comfortable and easy. I want you to see it, folks. I didn't write the book. I'm trying to preach it to you and help you today, teach it to you. I want you to see it. Pick it up in verse 11 and 12. Now, folks, listen, we have an every word Bible because we do. You're going to have, to, if after the service, you come explain it to me then. I'm trying to explain it to you. Look what he did. Abimelech took the men with him that the king said, take whatever you want. He took these men and they went to the house of the king under the treasury and took thence old cast clots and rotten rags. Why would God put that in a book? And let them down by cords into the, into the dungeon of Jeremiah. And Abimelech the Ethiopian said to Jeremiah, the man of God, put, the, put now these old cast clots and rotten rags under thy armholes under the cords and Jeremiah did so. Everybody look up here and listen very carefully. Now you can interpret that any way you want to. But Abimelech didn't want to hurt that man of God. He wanted to make it comfortable for him. And I want to say this about me. I'm speaking for myself now. I think I'm talking, I can speak for Jeremiah. We wouldn't give a rip how you got us out of there. Get us out of here. The smell of manure and urine. And I'm up my knees and, and just get me out. Put a rope around my stinking neck. It don't matter. Get me out of here. Not Abimelech. No, sir. Man of God, we, don't, we want to make it easy on you. I want you to put the class cloth and those rotten rags on you. We don't want a rope burn. Now, you can't interpret that any other way. Because God wouldn't put that in his holy right if he didn't mean that. Abimelech wanted to make it easy and comfortable well, preacher, it's a wonderful thing when, when we're comfortable, when the church makes it comfortable for the preacher so he can stay focused on the ministry that God has called him to. It's such a wonderful thing. And that's exactly what they did. Uh, but like, listen, he, he, he put these whole class guys down. He said, uh, Jeremiah, I want you to put them on the rope. We're going to put the rope down, put it around you, and I want you to put it on your arm because we don't want to hurt you. No rope burns. And I'm telling you, man, I'm thinking, Jeremiah really didn't care, man. Just get me, if you're going to get me out of, get me out of this mess. L listen carefully, please, because if you meditate on what I'm talking about right now, you have to understand that Abimelech wanted to do more. More. Than just get the preacher out and rescue the preacher. He wanted to do more than just rescue him out. He wanted to make it easy on Jeremiah to come out of there. So, brother, and this is the thing. Most of us are men. We, we can handle, uh, handle it, you know, on the chin. If you want to make it hard, that's fine. We'll make it. If it's God's will, we're going to do it anyway. Come hell or high water, we're going to make sure it happens. The boy is so good when the, when the preacher is comfortable, he's cared for, his needs are met. It makes it so much easier. Tara, uh, you were there all those years. Our staff was very huge. Some of them came from other... We had a couple of them from giant ministries, the biggest ministries in the United States of America. And this is what they told me. This is the only church that we've ever worked for where we didn't have, we didn't have to have two or three jobs. I just stared at them like, wow. And I couldn't pay them a whole lot. I mean, huge, but I took care of their needs because when I hired them, I want them to stay focused on the ministry that God has given us. So Christians who, who want really to serve the Lord will go beyond meeting the needs of the man of God. They'll also make him comfortable. Are y'all with me? So not pampered, not sissified. We don't want that. Just the needs being met. Look at me. Don't, don't, please don't freeze on me because there's not a man in this room or a woman will work at any job where they're not caring for you. You'll find the place that will care for you and boy, when you find a place where they're taking care of your insurance and taking care of the salaries good and the environment is good and your boss cares for you, that's where you want to be. Yes, sir. And you'll find that if, if they're not doing that wherever you're at. 
Well, why would we not take care of the man of God? We're not talking about secular stuff. We're not talking about making ink. We're talking about making saints. Why would you not take care of the preacher in that way? I want you to go, if you would please, 1 Timothy, if you would please. 1 Timothy chapter 5. I'll be through in just a moment. I'm taking more time than I wanted to anyway, but I, I want you to get it, folks. It's so wonderful. When you see that man walk around, your preacher's got a good positive spirit. That's good. A lot of preachers don't because they, they're not really being cared for. And then I come here, these years I've come here, and then they got this, y'all sitting here tonight. Great crowd. Just short order, this thing's gonna be fighting. Then you could be fighting for pew, you could be fighting for your seat. So just get your name tag, put it on there. All Baptists do. They sit in the same place all the time. Somebody gets you and says, get out of my seat. But anyway, <laughs> Baptists always have their places, right? But it's gonna get to a point where you're gonna have chairs on the wall. It's gonna happen, folks, as years I'm standing behind this pulpit, if you do what I'm saying. God is obligated to take care of a church that's taking care of their pastor, the man of God. God called him. And God wants you to care for him. Look at 1 Timothy. Are you there? Say amen. amen. Look in chapter 5, if you would please. Pick it up in verse 17. Are you there? 517. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. One more time. Not black words, a white piece of paper. This is God's word saying double honor, especially those that labor in the word and doctrine. When that preacher is preaching to you and helping you and you know that, man, that guy studied. He, he studied to come up with this. Um, he's laboring in the word and doctrine. Look at verse 18. For the scripture saith, thou shall not muzzle the ox. Now, if you do a study of the word of God, preachers are known as ox at times. In fact, my mother must have knew I was going to be a preacher a long time ago. She used to call me her big ox. But anyway, that's another story. But look at it. Muzzle ox that treadeth out the corn. Are y'all with me now? The ox that's doing the work, you don't keep the, that's treading out the corn. You don't keep the corn from him. Let him eat. Let him eat and let him continue to tread out the corn. Are you with me now? You got to feed him. Look at it, the next part. And the labor is worthy of his reward. Now, that's a Bible principle. And the principle is, and you know what it is, it's double honor. So let me say it this way, and I think I'm, I'm totally accurate. That you can do your own study. I think what it's talking about here, if we took the average, the average income of this church, we got some men in this church that, that uh, make substantial money. Some are millionaires like Abe Che and people like that. I'm helping you now. So we have men here that are making substantial income. We have some that are just average. And then we have some that's really, you know, you, you, you're not making a lot of money. When you put it all together and come up with an average preacher, you'll have an average income of the church. I believe that's what it's talking about that. That that man of God is worth, if he labors in the word of God and on his knees and feeding you, you ought to feed him to the point of double honor of the average income of the person in church. And if you don't believe that, you see me, I'll be at the book table. Won't you come interpret it for me? Because that's what it says right there. Any way you cut it, man, that's what it says. So I'm just simply saying, well, you're just, you're just trying to get money for the preacher. No, I'm not. I'm trying to tell you what God says. And when you obey God's word, as we heard last night, can shout it out about the word of God. You can shout it, but when you live it, there's a whole nother thing. You got to live what the man preached last night. Obey the book. And that's what the book says. And when that happens, all of a sudden, you got the hand of God on this place for good, not for bad. I have preached in places at times when I, I was just embarrassed for the preacher. Your pastor's not like that. He, 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 he actually has um, some suits. I didn't see any holes in his suits, but I preached and sat on a platform and watched a preacher get up and have a hole in his britches. Uh, his, his suit's so wrinkled and messed up. I, this suit, I just want to make this statement. In fact, I, I, I can't believe this. And Kim can verify that. This nice, beautiful suit that somebody bought me, I was here last year. It was here. And I backed into a 
a thorn bush and rip my britches that goes with this. You owe me. Anyway, <laughs> and rip that thing and they couldn't fix it. So I just said, all right, I'll keep the coat and get me some other britches. And that's what I did. But I'm a Cajun. I ought to preach with a hole in my britches the rest of the time, right? But I have, I've sat on platform and watched preachers that their, their, their clothes are all wrinkled up, messed up, holes in their britches. Are you listening to me? And on their face praying, I'm looking at their shoes, got a big singing hole in their shoe. Like, what in the world? That shouldn't be. And of course, your pastor's not that. Y'all, y'all are caring for him to, to some degree. To what degree? I have absolutely no idea. I'm trying to help you because you know what? Things are going to progress. And if you think for one moment those, those little, those little rugrats or Baptist brats are costing him now, wait till they become teenagers. Say amen right there. You that got teenagers, they really cost, right? So you can't keep him at where he's at now. Somewhere he's got to be helped and blessed. So, so I want you to see it, please. Abimelech understood this. And I have been in situations where I saw pastors, they just were not, they were not, they were not, Sensitive to it. Everybody listen to me now. And I'm going to be through in just a minute. When I say that, don't get excited. I, I never had a retirement. Since I didn't take raises, I never set up anything in retirement. Since I was 11 years old, I worked construction. I hate debt. I never was in debt, paid everything cash, and wanted to do that. And that's why we end up with what we end up at, at Northwest Bible Baptist Church. I hate debt. Um, I... Um, I, I, I just wanted, I, I wanted to do the right thing on that. And I tried to teach my people that. They can't give the missions. They can't, some of them, to tithe would be straining because we get so much in debt because we're so, we're so lustful about stuff. And because I was that way, God looks down and said, all right, the man got it together and he's certainly throwing a lot of money in the Lord's work. And, and I did. Lots of money. I'm going to take care of that guy. And then all of a sudden people, yeah, giving it, she'll give it unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over, shall men give unto your bosom. All of a sudden I'm getting this stuff and I'm going, see, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that most people are chasing, trying to get that's eluding them will now chase you if you seek the kingdom of God first. So that's all I've ever done. I've done that and all of a sudden these things are chasing me. It's a wonderful thing to live by the hand of God instead of by the hand of man or chasing that stuff all the time because you'll never catch it. And when you do catch it, you're not satisfied with it. It's all lust. Everything I have in some cases has been given to me because of men and God blessing in that area. And so the last thing I want to say is Abimelech, God blessed Abimelech for helping. I'm through tonight. Look at it. Go to chapter 39, if you would, please. Are you whipping out? Because Abimelech did what he did for the man of God, God said, I'm going to bless old Abimelech. Folks, I've been in this a long time. I have watched this thing play out time and time again. I want to make a statement. I want you to listen to me carefully. Some of you that might be bored with the word of God, just listen to me very carefully. I never gave to get. I gave because I love. I gave because I love my Lord. He saved my rotten, filthy soul from hell. I love him. I can't help what he does for me. He'll be a debtor to no man. And I can't help what he does in blessing. So you get jealous because he blesses. It's crazy. Don't get jealous at me because God blesses me. I've just obeyed him and I love him, but I never did it to get. But the truth of the matter, that's, that's what the Christian life preacher, we're not to be a reservoir, we're to be a channel we give to get, to give, to get, to give, to get, to get, to give. And it never stops with getting. It always stops with giving. So I want you to look at it, if you would, please. Pick it up in verse uh, 15 of chapter 39. Now the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, unto Jeremiah, while he was shut up in the court of the prison, saying, Go and speak to Abimelech, the Ethiopian, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring my words upon this city for evil. He was about to smite that city because they treated the man of God wrongly and not for good. And they shall be accomplished in that day before thee. But I will deliver thee in that day, saith the Lord. Abimelech, 
You got a free ticket out of that judgment. And thou shalt not be given into the hand of the men whom thou art afraid. For I will surely deliver thee, and thou shalt not fall by the sword, but thy life shall be for a prey unto thee. Because thou hast put thy trust in me, saith the Lord. It's a very reassuring thing to know that God is on your side. And when you're doing the right thing, God is on your side. So folks, Heritage Baptist Church, when you're trying to care for the man of God and doing the right thing by him, God is on your side. And when you bow your head and say, Heavenly Father, I, we need help here. Would you please bless our pastor as he preaches, bless our church, bless the deacons, bless the soul ones, bless the buses, bless the staff, bless our church, please. God's got an ear bent for that because Heritage Baptist Church has done the right thing by the man of God. It's a wonderful, reassuring thing to know that and understand that. You take care of God's pets and he'll take care of you, trust me. You can do whatever you want. You can get in the book of Revelation. It talks about the angel, talks about those stars, talks about the, and we're talking about God's men. I've said it before and I might've said it here in the years I've had. God deals with the preacher differently than he deals with anybody. And when God puts his hand on it and calls us out, we better honor him. And when we don't, judgment will come. It, I cannot go into story and I will not tonight how many preachers I have buried, young preachers even, I buried because they turned their back on the calling of God. God will deal with us. You preach, you get out of line, God will deal with him. He'll beat him like nobody else could beat him. God's hand is big and his chastisement is real. And he'll do that if he has to. But as long as that man of God is doing the right thing, man, you be behind him. Amen him. Push him on. Thank God for him. Amen. Pray for him. And take care of him. So, not only meet his needs, but every now and again, maybe his wants. If you just think, if you, if you know the preacher is interested in the thing. Now, uh, you, don't, you don't fish, do you? You don't fish, do you? You don't fish. Well, you go with me, I'll use for cut bait. But anyway... He don't fish, he don't hunt. But what if he golfs? If he play hockey? <laughs> I could see you in a good fist to cuff in a hockey ring. But anyway, find out what the preacher likes. He may like to do something, some hobby he likes, right? Do something for him. Golf, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Cajuns don't play golf. They don't cut the grass where I hit the ball. And when I do, it's always in a lake. I got to pull my boat behind it. We, we were playing uh, Providence Baptist College has a uh, golf thing. You know, we raise money, right? And they asked me to go. I went a couple of times. I play golf twice a year. First time to sh make sure that I'm still as miserable as I am. And then I played the second time to prove that I am and never play again, right? But anyway, I, we played and and I hit down by, by a lake and I went down to get my ball and went, oh my God. Goodness, they were stinking bullfrogs that big around. Now I'm Cajun. You got to understand, Cajun will eat anything that doesn't eat him first, right? So I'm looking at these bullfrogs. I'm going, you got to be kidding. Well, I know the guy. He owns three country clubs. He's a buddy of mine. And uh, I, we, we saw him, Kim and I saw him. And, and I said, uh, Tom, I didn't know y'all had stinking bullfrog. He said, are you a frogger? I said, I'm a Cajun, bro. He said, he said I'm going to leave a card out for you and Kim. And he left the cart out. Now, you got to get the picture, please. I, I, I don't know why I'm off on this story. I just think it's funny. And Kim's got a hoodie on. It's, it's a little chilly. Kim's got a hoodie on. I got a hoodie. Uh, I don't have it on, but she has her on. She's got this big bag over her back. And I got this, this, this gig. And we're going through a... On, on the golf course with all those million-dollar homes, we look like we're going around. We cat burglars we're going to rob. I said, somebody going to shoot us. Somebody going to shoot us. They shoot on me. I told her that. And buddy, we started, man. All of a sudden we ended up way in the back and man, they were everywhere on that lake. So all of a sudden she's dragging this bag. It's a, it's a, it's a clothes bag with holes in it, right? And she's dragging all these frogs. And she goes, I can't, I can't pick the bag up anymore. I said, I knew I should have married one of them big Iowa women as strong to carry my frog bag. I told her that. She started laughing. So I went back there and grabbed the bag and helped her pull it. I said, what in the world? So I kept gigging. I said, hey, one more and we're, we're gone. 
So she's got the video. If you want to see it, ask her, man. That old big, big old boy. I got him, pull him off. Man, he's huge, big old leg, like chicken legs, man. I went and parked the cart in the middle of the night, right? And parked the cart for my buddy to get it in the next morning when he comes into work. And we went and we were cleaning those. I've cleaned those frogs, man. I'm, you know, stripping them out. And I go, let's see, man, I'm in Illinois. I don't. I know down, down south, you know, down Louisiana, we just got as many. Let me see if there's any laws on that thing. Might want to check that first before you ever do anything. But anyway, I check. Please don't tell. If there's a game warden here, just close your ears right now. But anyway, so I, I looked it up. And in, in Illinois, you have to have a fishing license. That ain't a fish. It's a frog. <laughs> got to have fishing license. Some of you ain't laughing. That's why I'm doing this, just for the Pharisees. But anyway, you need a fish. You need a fishing license. And the, and the, and the, 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 the limit was eight. eight. Oh, by the way, when she couldn't pack it, I gave her the, I gave her the gig and I grabbed the sack and I threw it over my back. I said, oh my goodness, what did we do? She said, we smoked them. I said, okay. <laughs> when we counted, it was like 54. We keep 54 frogs. I looked at her and said, you're a violator. <laughs> but anyway. If they wasn't going to feed me, I had to feed myself. If you find something a preacher likes, are you whipping out meeting his needs and making him comfortable? But if you, if you just find something that he likes, you might want to do that. I, I got to quit. Look at those beautiful children. How about one of you ladies just grabbing one of those girls? You don't have to bring both. Just one of them said, can I borrow her for a little while and take her out and buy her a new dress? She'll never forget that. We're in Wisconsin, Blamoro, and those kids love us there at our school now. And Kim fell in love with those girls, and she brought one of them out and bought her a beautiful dress several years ago, three or four years ago, a girl's still wearing that dress. When she's in our presence, she'll make sure that beautiful dress is on because she loves Kim because Kim does that. My first wife, I'd give her allowance, not a big allowance, but I'd give her allowance. She would save it up. Fellas, look at me. Your wife has more money than you think. She's, she's storing it and she's always hitting you up for money, but she's got a stash somewhere, trust me. And, and Kim would, I mean, uh, Carla would do that. And when she'd find a woman in the church that had a worn Bible, or maybe she was not dressing, you know, nicely, uh, Carla would always go to nice thrift stores around our place that got real good stuff there. And she, for some reason, she could judge a woman her size and she'd buy stuff for the women. She would never do it publicly. She'd pull them to the side. She said, I bought you something. That's the Christian life. Now, that's a pastor's wife doing for the people because the people were so good to us. Um, take this little red-headed um, Korean, whatever he is. I'm not quite sure what that kid is, but look like a matchstick. Take that little boy out. Find out what he likes. I, I got to quit. Just, folks, I'm try trying to say, man, when that happens, it just sets the preacher on fire. So many folks really do love me and they really care for me. And it's a wonderful thing. I'm just simply saying that, boy, I tell you what, when you show appreciation to his wife, some of you ladies could take his wife out and do something for her. It, it, it's an amazing thing. And I want to say that i got to quit. Somewhere, somehow, I, and I may be speaking out of turn. I don't think I am. We've taught our boys to stick around. I don't run with preachers that hop, stick, and skip, and jump. I, I, most of my friends have been in their place for years and years and years and years. Dr. Angel, all those guys, been in, in their churches for years and years. I, I personally, I, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn. I believe, I believe the man you have now is here for the life, for his life, unless you run him off. I think he's here for life. It'd be a great thing at his age if you men got together and said, okay, if you're going to do that, preacher, even if, you, even if he's not going to stay for life, you still need to do it. But I think he's here for life. You ought to say, listen, you know, we, we heard the message and we understand. What, what do you have for, for retirement? We're going to set you up something on retirement that when 
if the Lord tears this coming when it's time, you're going to be okay. Because most of you men, most of you have jobs where you can retire. I did not have any of that in place at Northwest Bible Baptist Church. One of the great churches of America, lots of money. I didn't have it. Like I said, I always refused it. And I had a man, one of our financial investors stood up one time and he said, preacher, that, uh, or he said, Ben, this man's not be able to retire. When it's ready, he's not ready. And this is what we need to do. And he, he told them what they need to do. I'm just, remember that brother? I'm just sitting there weeping like, what in the world's going on here? So they set me something up. And then he came back later and said, I did some figuring. That's not enough. We got to do this. And they started doing that. I didn't collect the money. They put it in a retirement fund. Wish I could have done that when I first went there 40 years ago. But they did and they did it late. But man, you got somebody here that's young and you can do that for him. And I promise you, God will bless you in a great way. Thank God for Abimelech, the Ethiopian man, the Ethiopian eunuch that had enough sense to take care of the man of God. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.